Happy Friday, and thanks for spending the entire week with us here at the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And Jim, as we move into Minute 90, an hour and a half into The Rocketeer, uh, we are thrilled to welcome back Danny Bilson, writer, director, producer, TV, video games, movies, comic books, uh, and of course, uh, one of the co-screenwriters, along with Paul DeMeo of The Rocketeer. Danny, welcome back. Thanks for coming to join us again. Hey, thanks. Thanks for listening to my ramblings. It's amazing. I mean, we've, we've, we've learned so much stuff, more than we even need to know about <laughs> about the Rocketeer, and uh, and here we are at, at you know the this is one of the many finales of where where yeah, sides are changing, uh, all kinds of uh, stakes are being raised. It's really a, a a narrative strategy. It's almost a class of narrative strategies here. I've had a how to build tension. And in everything we're learning uh, learning here, uh, Jim and I are thinking about rebooting the podcast as the Rocketeer 30 Seconds, so we can start <laughs> over but do twice as many episodes. <laughs> so so I hope yeah. you're game. And, and if you're listening, Billy, get ready. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hal's getting ready for the for the end here. We're down down into the final 20 minutes, but this is one of the best scenes in the, in the movie. We've, uh, we've talked about how Eddie's just changed sides, or he's about to change sides because Clifford had uh, interrupted his, his dramatic turn. <laughs> So he had to shut him up. Well, it really does have one of the best lines in the film that yeah. uh, I may not make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American and I don't work for no two bit Nazi. That's just, yeah. Everything about that just pitch perfect. Danny, thanks so much for that particular line. Cause yeah, well, I will take full credit for that line. That was mine. That wasn't Paul's. That wasn't anybody else's, but I will tell you what the origin of that line was. The it's from streetcar named desire where Stanley Kowalski says, I'm 100% American. Oh, no kidding. That was the first play I acted in in college. Paul and I went to college <laughs> together, and he that wasn't the first play we did together, but that was the first play I did. And uh, that stuck in my head, that line where Stanley Kowalski says, I don't remember what his lead-in was, but he says, I'm 100% American. He said, I may not be something, but I'm 100% American. I'm sure, you know, Tennessee. So that was borrowed from, inspired by Tennessee Williams. I, that was my line. For sure. Because some people have asked where'd that line come from and they thought it came from somewhere else. And recently somebody sent me a tweet or there was something about that. But I really remember that clearly and I remember writing that one clearly. When I see Eddie's uh, gang, I keep thinking this reminds me so much of All Through the Night. I mean, that's, you know, Bo- Bogart's gang being Clubs uh, hmm. Donahue and all that. I, I just hmm. see. I see all these characters as it could, you know, it could easily be Frank McHugh or. Uh, well, yes, but they were they were an amalgam of all those films, as I said earlier, that Paul and I grew up with uh, watching on television during the day in the '60s when we were kids. All that came from the whole movie came from a combination of Dave Stevens' art and love for uh, Commando Cody and King of the Rocket Men and our love of 30s films. I understand it's it's raising the stakes, but the, the, this particular scene, it, it's, it's the only thing kind of really, I don't want to say annoy, annoy is too much of, it's too emotional about it. It's, it's kind of a frustrating thing that Neville Sinclair just happens to have a, a squadron of stormtroopers hidden in the bushes. It, it just kind <laughs> It's like, oh, did I mention I have this army behind me? <laughs> well, they came off the Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the whole idea is that they, they, they dropped in off the Zeppelin. They rappelled down. That's off camera. But we didn't think it was. We call that one of writers' favorite terms is POA, plausible off-screen action. I think we learned that from, <laughs> from, from, Joel, from Joel Silver at some point when we were developing something. We would just say POA. Come on, it's yeah. POA. Uh, and it was. I mean, so I never thought they came out of nowhere. I knew they came off the Zeppelin. Yeah. It, it, but yeah, you it, could have shown, but if you show, it's a different directorial choice, right? Either you're going to surprise the audience, or you're going to build suspense by seeing them drop in first and the characters don't know it. Yeah. You did hang that shotgun back in the newsreel. And, you know, in the first act, we were watching the, the Luxembourg making, you know, see when you get to Hollywood, boys. That yeah, that, was, that was fun. Yeah. That was really fun. I think Joe Johnston really enjoyed that making that animated sequence too, as I recall. Yeah, no, it, it's just you know being able to see all this and uh, they really look sharp. Uh, Hal, I don't know um, Nazi uniform protocols, but is, is that <laughs> thank does, God? Okay, yes. I'd be worried about you. <laughs> yes. But Hal does have people in the uh, in, in the war uh, reenacting things. Are, are those typical winter? clothing or I've- yeah you know this is something they uh as far as i can tell they really nailed it now my, my wife and i had a business for a while doing smaller scale sort of display quality 
uniforms and things from World War II for the six-scale action figures. That was one oh. of our side projects for years. I'm certainly rusty since those days, but I would, you know, when I look at everything here, I, to me, it's spot on. My uh, uh, buddy Eric Flint was on with us as a is uh, a military historian and a lieutenant colonel in the army, and he would certainly know uh, know that better than I do. But nothing about this sort of uh, rings untrue to me. That this would be this would be just right. The MP40s slung just so, and the ammo pouches and everything else. What is on their knees? I was trying to figure out what I've stopped the, you know, I've, I've freeze framed through it a couple of things, and it, it looks like their knees are almost like wrapped in leather. Those are paratrooper uh, knee pads, as I recall. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, those would be those would be part of the sort of the paratrooper leggings. So it's kind of a combination of almost the the Edelweiss mountain troopers, at least giving you that winter look, and then those, uh, uh, and then the the. Uh, the paratrooper leathers and you can see the above them just sort of below the waist the upper thighs they all have the harnesses on if you could look at and and maybe think uh, paratrooper but uh but in this case you know as we know momentarily we're thinking uh, zeppelin as they had uh, rappelled down now has anyone has anyone talked to you guys about the tragedy that happened up there and the injury to the stunt person no you guys guys aren't aware of that no i don't recall that one coming up no well when the sequence when Cliff is uh, on the ground, and I think the rocket pack's going off, and he's he's dragged sort of across the grass. And I haven't screened the film in a while, so so I can't remember exactly. But there was a it was a gag with a pulley, and I believe that the stunt person um, the pulley didn't release in time, and he, he smashed his head into a tree, and it was it was it was wow. a very very severe injury, uh, oh very gosh. severe injury, and those kind of things when they happen in filmmaking. We're not, you know, we don't make films. Films are for fun, and when people when people get hurt and stunt people get hurt, it's a real tragedy because it's it's sort of the under undercurrent is it's not worth it, you know. For it's like that's not we're not fighting wars and we're not saving lives. We're making films, so I'm surprised that you guys haven't heard about that yet. And maybe when you it's coming up, and maybe when you get to that, if you had Joe Johnston, um, I wasn't well, there, but I certainly heard about it, and it was it was it was pretty rough. Well, we're having Billy on uh, l- later next week, so let, we will be talking that that actual scene where he uh, where he drops and then flies across the uh, the lawn. There is coming yeah. up in about three minutes. So next well, week, he, he was there. He knows, and um, maybe he'll bring it up. But uh, you can certainly ask yeah. him about it. You can see my whole tone drops when I talk about that in reverence because uh, people shouldn't. You know, we're, we're just making entertainment, and it's very hard. I've had it happen to me as a director, where even if a stunt person breaks his arm or something, you just feel terrible. Yeah, no, I mean there there has been, you know, I mean we've we've talked with stunt pilots previously on the show and there's a lot of people who um we can't we can't talk to because they are no longer with us and right. it's a, it's a dangerous I mean they they'd be they, you know the stunt work and and especially area work is difficult. Well, they'll say, you know, stunt people will say it's part of the risk we take, it's part of our job, but as a director or a creator it's pretty darn painful to see that happen. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine. But let's change the tone. I just, I digressed. Uh, let's go back to the G-Wiz yeah, sequence. Um, would you say that this took the most amount of time to set up in your story? I mean, what was, what was a, what was a difficult scene when you were, when you were trying to uh, hash it out? Uh, just no, if this wasn't difficult. It was a scope down from, it was a scope reduction from the original sequence, as I talked about in an earlier podcast that involved out in the desert with. An army armada of airplanes, uh, an armada of, I'm using the wrong word, but an armada of, of cars on the ground and the Zeppelin in the middle. So this was a scope down for us. It was just, um, it wasn't a difficult sequence. I don't remember thinking of it as a difficult sequence. What I haven't talked at all about was in that era at Disney, every time you'd turn in any draft or any rewrite, you would get another multiple pages, single space notes on everything. So dealing with the notes as a writer was, uh, really tricky. I mean, really, really tricky because every time you get notes, you look for the ones that um, you agree with, and then you figure out how to not do the ones you don't agree with. And then the other thing I remember from that era really clearly was you get these notes that were Disney notes. But I would always try to get to our representative, our developer, a woman named Jane Goldenring, who was working with us in their direct contact. And she actually teaches at USC now, too, so I still see her occasionally. Is that... Um, what I was trying to find out was whose note is this? Because then you can prioritize. Like if it's Jeffrey Katzenberg's note, you have to take that very differently than the third level down development person. Yeah. Right? So so I was always saying, whose note is that? Is that Jeffrey's note? 
Because, you know, I'm trying to be strategic in, in, especially if it's a note I didn't care for, how to deal with it. But I think as a writer, you try to find a way to make things work and, and without turning the script into a script guy committee where things just get watered down to nothing. And that didn't happen on this film. And, and honestly, Joe Johnston is a very, very strong director and a very strong creative person. And he fights for stuff. He was not um, in any way a uh, doormat to the studio. He's a very, very strong personality who fights for what he thinks is right. As well as we had producers who we had worked with a bunch already. And like I said, 30 years later, I'm still working with these people in Larry Gordon, Chuck Gordon, and Lloyd Levin, who really would fight to protect the material. And as I said in an earlier podcast, they were the ones, and it was very unusual in that era, who insisted that Paul and I finish and finish the script and do the last draft. And we were the writers that were um, doing all the all the changes during production. One of the bigger notes that we heard about from, uh, from Jeffrey Katzenberg was that he wanted to get rid of the the fin head uh, uh, helmet and put on just like a, a jet you know like a modern uh, helmet in the middle of all this thing what, did that <laughs> note get as far as you or did it did Joe get to stop that one no well that stuff was going on with remember Joe was really smart about involving Dave Stevens in this Dave Stevens was actually part of the art department on this film so Dave had a, was there and you probably heard the story of how you know they would build it and prove it yeah. right he would build a helmet and show that it could work you know I will tell you an anecdote the exact same thing happened with our flash TV show at the same time the network wanted a track suit with tennis shoes with LEDs in it. And this is important. This is an important story, actually. And if you go to the... If you ever look at the Petfly uh, Facebook page, there's a lot of photos and art. There's a lot... Of, I don't know if you guys look there, but I've got all my... A uh, lot of Rocketeer behind-the-scenes photos, as well as a painting that Dave Stevens did of The Flash, where we had Dave redesign the costume a bit of The Flash, and we took this painting to CBS, and the way we got the suit approved was through Dave Stevens' work and his interpret in his art. We just said, Dave, we the Batman suit worked in the Burton Batman. We want to. We had the same guy, Bob Short, build the suit for the uh, the Flash. For uh, the Flash, Dave did the art, and there's a copy of it. I scanned it. That's on at, at uh, Petfly Productions uh, Facebook page, and you can see Dave Stevens Dave Stevens Flash illustration that got the Flash suit on John Wesley ship in the Flash. So there's connections with the Rocketeer <laughs> there that nobody probably knows about unless you have listened to some other interviews with us over the years. Well, it, it, I mean, the, the, it was battles worth fighting, and it, you know, you got it both on on the TV show and and here in the in this movie. That uh, the important parts really stayed. I think. I mean, it, although I know I know there's a, there's some things in here that you miss that you wish you know, may have been in the film. Every writer does, right? Let's to be fair. Every writer's got a gripe because unless you're directing it, and as I said in another podcast, our mentor was John Milius, and he told us that the reason he started directing was to quote unquote protect the material. And I think my directing back in the day was inspired by I wanted to interpret it. And in the television stuff I directed, because I was the executive producer, I had pretty much complete control. So if you look at, for instance, the Trickster episodes from The Flash, nobody nobody messed with us. We just did what we wanted. That must have been a kick. Yeah, Mark Hamill and wonderful. all that. And- really wonderful. Uh, those were those were fantastic episodes. Yeah, Mark is a great actor. You know, people sometimes don't think of him that way, but Mark is a great actor. Well, it, it's funny too because I think it it took his voice work for yeah. a lot of people to really eventually take him that much more seriously as an actor, and he's just spectacular at it. Well, and let's talk about that Joker was just the trickster that he created with yeah. us on the oh, Flash, yeah. and that and he's run that voice for years, and some of it because of course I'm a video game person. The the work he's done in the games, his voiceover work is just spectacular. If you look at Arkham Knight, his performance is just amazing. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Or, well, it's it's the opposite. It's wholly believable. It's, <laughs> it's wholly believable. Yeah. Right, Hal. You're exactly right. Okay, uh, meanwhile, I'll drag us okay. back to the Rocketeer because I, I'm Mr. No, Defocusing. It's, it's so. oh, yeah, you're among friends there. <laughs> now, you were you said that you were there on the nights they were shooting this. Uh yeah, I remember. And if you again, there's some photos of Paul and I and Lloyd Levin on the set those nights that are on the Petfly uh, Facebook page. Um, yeah, I remember being up there. We were able to get up there at night because you know we were sneaking off to the set when we could. But again, we were deep in production on the on the rocket. On sorry, on the Flash. Uh, I definitely remember being up at Griffith's Observatory, and I'll, absolutely the setting and the choice of the observatory was ours. I, I my grandfather used to take me up there as a little kid because I grew up in L.A. And uh, it was one of our places we would go. So when it came to that location, we chose that location, Paul and I did. 
Danny, you mentioned uh, you mentioned your grandfather, and I did want to touch a little bit on uh, on your family. We talked about it sort of offline between uh, between episodes, but uh, yeah. could you t- tell us again a little bit about what uh, your grandfather did, and then we'll talk about your dad and your daughter. Yeah, well, my grandfather worked for Jack Warner, and he was brought out in 1932 from First National Pictures in New York, where he was a publicity guy, to run the trailer department at Warner Brothers in the 30s. And in those days, he would make short films. They wouldn't just cut the trailers from the film. They would make short supporting films. And, and ones I remember are A Day in the Life of a Chorus Girl was a short film they would use show in theaters to promote uh, Gold Diggers of 1935. Or there's one where they're on the set of Midsummer Night's Dream, the Warner Brothers one with Cagney and all the stars that I actually have like some eight millimeter copy of I bought years ago. I need oh, to get wow. transferred. Um, so my grandfather worked at Warner's through 39 and then he was at RKO where he made short comedies, produced short comedies. Leon Errol and, and Edgar Kennedy shorts, which actually my writing partner Paul used to see on TV in Buffalo from some Toronto station that used to run those when he was a kid. And I didn't really see those in LA. They didn't show those here, but he knew though that work. And then my grandfather's last show was, I believe it was a year long television show in the early 50s of Captain Midnight. And um, I think at least that was his last work. And then um, <clears throat> when he couldn't work, he became a, a caterer. And so when I was a kid, they were they were caterers. But he had a, but he was all show business. My grandfather, he was all show business all the time. Actually, I mean, I could tell you know the way the home movies are just out of control in my family. We would have to rewrap gifts and unwrap them again at holidays to get another angle. I swear to God, no, I swear to God, it used to drive us insane as kids. But I have all those films, and they're kind of cool in retrospect. And then my dad. Um, <clears throat> I think his first job was he was the editor on uh, You Bet Your Life oh, wow. with Groucho in the oh, early 50s. Gosh. And then he was the assistant. I was born when he was the assistant director on the Wyatt Earp uh, television series. And then there's actually photographs of Opie and I in Mayberry <laughs> as children because my dad was the first AD on the Andy Griffith show. He left that to get his directing break. And then he directed from 1963 to 1999. And his last... 10 years, a lot of his work were on my shows. Uh, My dad did a lot of episodes of The Flash and then The Sentinel and Viper and and the last thing he did in 99 was uh, an episode of Viper and he said uh, you know, he didn't know it was his last episode at the time, but he worked until into his 70s and he did over 400 episodes of TV and he won an Emmy for Get Smart. So in the 60s, I would go to work with him all the time and I got to grow up on the sets of Hogan's Heroes and Get Smart and those were my... uh, those are my playgrounds, and I'm very grateful for that. And those are so many things that I remember watching as a kid. You talked we about all did, Patty right? Griffith, yeah, Patty Duke, Hogan's Heroes, yeah. Mary yeah. Tyler Moore. There you go. You did. He did an episode of Mash. He did an episode yes. of Brady Bunch. Six Million Dollar Man. Yes, I was I, actually worked as an extra when when I got out of college, and Paul and I were struggling writers. We both worked as movie extras, and. There's an episode of MASH, the first one with Mike Farrell, where he comes to MASH. It's a one-hour episode, and he finds his soldier on the battlefield whose stomach is blown up, and he vomits at the carnage. Yeah. I I was that soldier. You're kidding me. Yes. The other thing was, in Happy Days, I was was one of the kids in Arnold's for a few years in the background in Happy Days. No kidding. Yeah, and that's how I knew. Oh, my um, gosh. And then reunited. The Howards in my family were friends going back to the early 60s although i you know i don't i don't see ron much i saw him a few years ago but um my dad was close with his dad and then my daughter is just to do the family thing my daughter rachel my daughter rachel was uh in the oc and heart of dixie she just finished a a run on nashville she may be going back next year i'm not sure yet and she was in the film jumper with uh her Uh, husband uh, hayden christensen who is the father of my granddaughter uh, so i didn't know they were married and uh, they're not but or, they're well, together holly they're hollywood yeah. married sorry i didn't mean married. i didn't even know that they were, uh, they were a because i gotta tell you um you know i'm a crazy big star wars fan over me here me too by the way and, me too uh, and on i i i uh um loved hayden christensen in, in jumper in particular, I thought that was a yeah. A very, well, that was Rachel was his was the woman and, and she's like, of course she's loving. I didn't know that they were yeah. That's where they that met there was a, a thing in real life. And now they have a two and a half year old daughter who I will be going to awesome. see tomorrow morning. And, oh my uh, gosh! And so we're way yeah, off the rocket here, you no, guys. No, no, we, I will, we just I discovered took, I, all the genetic patterns in, in the Bilson family, and so yeah. there you go. Well, yeah, that's, that's the journey that uh, yeah. that we go on, and and. Uh, 
I, I got to tell you, there's a buddy of mine at work, Chris Henry, who's uh, guested on this show, and he and Jim will be doing a, a, a show next spring. Um, he will want, uh, as, as if I didn't already, he will want your autograph just for the fact you had your stomach blown out on MASH. He's the biggest <laughs> MASH fan I've we're ever not met. Doing the, so. we're, we're doing the Apollo uh, 13 minute, not the MASH minute, but that's the, uh, yeah. That, but. Not the MASH minute, but <laughs> okay. yeah. But, well, but you know, also know. one of my faculty uh, partners over at USC is named David Isaacs. He was one of the key showrunners on MASH for a bunch of years, and he's incredibly funny, and, and I just love hanging out with him. That's one of the great things about uh, teaching at USC that Paul and I do is that it's just populated with um, people who made film and television. The head of this writing department is wrote Top Gun, and, and there's Paul and I with the Rocketeer, and there's... There's just David. There's just many great people there. It's really fun to uh, our faculty meetings are a riot. Actually, can we come and audit one of your courses? Because that just sounds like that would be an absolute Absolutely. blast. Absolutely. If you're ever in, ever in Southern California, yeah. uh, my classes are pretty outrageous. It's, it's going to be like sure. the two Chris Farley guys in the back. Going, Remember that time that you did the Rocketeer? Wasn't that great? Wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that awesome? I pulled my hair um, out. Do, do you you oh, do you use great. the uh, the Rocketeer or Flash episodes as to illustrate things in your class? Do you? Well, I did a large lecture a couple years ago on adapting comics, and I certainly. Uh, showed the Rocketeer and, and some of the Flash. And I, I tried to show a lot of films. I didn't show any of the new Marvel or the Nolan or the new DC stuff. I tried to show stuff that the students may not have seen. And so we went through a bunch of things. But the Rocketeer, of course, I screened uh, yeah. in that class. And uh, I, I just I keep thinking of that uh, that Conan O'Brien pilot that he did with uh, Adam West for uh, uh, Look Look Well, I think was the name of it. And he was Adam West played a uh, a washed up seventies um, police procedural star who he he always wear the same outfit every day because continuity from the TV affected his real life <laughs> and he would always have uh, he'd always show he'd he'd teach an acting class and uh, he would show scenes from his movies and it was always just some horrible nineteen seventies version of Adam West with a bad toupee and he'd be like uh, you're busted sucker and. He'd, <laughs> <laughs> say this is what you you have to feel the emotion when you're doing but uh, anyway it's on youtube but it's it. worth worth watching um, <laughs> we're we're kind of in the midst of uh of of the, all these nazis coming in with a with a large uh, with a large zeppelin here back in the uh, in the rocketeer right and uh it, it, i understand that the and this next minute is going to be the pacing of staring at this big zeppelin going on overhead it I can't right. imagine a scene lasting that long in a in a motion picture made in the 21st century of just staring up. But I, I guess it, it kind of... Well, you know, I don't know if anybody's talked about this, but, you know, one of the great connections with Joe Johnston was he's an aviation nut. And he was flying ultralights of his own back in the day when we were doing it. I mean, I really felt like when we met Joe, he was like <laughs> sort of Dave and Mike Kaluta, and his access to the Rocketeer was about the aircraft. So... I have a feeling that the staring in awe of the Zeppelin had a lot to do with Joe's staring in awe at the yeah. Hindenburg. You know, yeah, I think, sure, yeah. I think, you know, if you, and, and of course the auto gyro came out of, uh, I really think it originated maybe with Kaluta or Dave, but, um, getting it in the movie was a big uh, thrill for everybody who loved uh, the aviation stuff. Oh yeah. It was, it was terribly exciting. And, and just so many, uh, I mean, Hal was doing cartwheels at the beginning when we were looking at the air show with Miss Los Angeles and all the other, uh, uh, all the oh, other yeah. craft that were there. Yeah. I wasn't able, Paul and I were too busy. As I said, we didn't go up to Santa Maria for the airfield sequences. I wish we could have, but again, we were too busy with the flash, but you know, there's a lot of things about the films that are pre-CG that are pretty awesome. And, you know, they had to go up there with those airplanes. And they had to go up there with a stunt guy in the clown suit flying that plane. And and, and I think Joe loved that, uh, the aerial unit stuff, just because, again, it was his passion. But you can't beat that. I mean, you know, you can augment with CG, but you really can't beat aircraft. And, of course, you know, you've seen in Dunkirk the... Um, the Spitfires, yeah, oh, so yes. yeah. handled by the same uh, stunt pilot, uh, yeah, same Craig yeah. Hosking, who aerial coordinator there as well. Yeah, I mean, there's other issues about the narrative mm, yeah. in that film, but some people like it. I'm but, not one of those, but I certainly love the staging yeah. of it and being a, an airplane fan. 
those uh, Spitfire sequences are wonderful. So I just want to recut them. Yeah, it's so. it's almost it's <laughs> almost like a that. memento thing. It's like if you could just put all those things in the right order, it'd be a great story. Yeah, really? <laughs> do we really do we really need to have to solve a puzzle while we're watching a movie at the same time? I, it was really tough. Paul and I saw it together, and we're really excited to see it because we're World War Two nuts. And uh, you know, a lot of my friends think it's a masterpiece. I think it's a master something else. So <laughs> let's just move on and. Let's move uh, on. Screenwriter. Well, I I'll never work for Chris Nolan if he <laughs> listens to this. I'm sorry. I just did another shoot myself in the head uh, move, but I just tend to. I'm never going to work for him anyway. So I, I just come and uh, get me. I'm right here. I think he's going to listen to this and say, uh, "Say I like your honesty, kid." That's what yeah, I think. That's what I don't. I think no, I've actually been in some meetings with him. I don't think he would say that. Um, let's. Wow. Uh, I think he would just hate my guts. So uh, well, anyway. But you know what? We're yeah. all tied to our, our opinions. We're all yeah, film and fans, and I know myself and my three friends who sat at the Chinese theater on the first Saturday night who were so excited to see that film walked out scratching our heads. But you gave, you let's go back to the Rocketeer. We did. You had a good night when this movie came out. And we we talked about that they had the street yeah. fair and the you know it was the, the first yeah, was the first great. movie to be shown in the renovated uh, El Cap. What what was your did you have an after an after film discussion after this like what happens next how what was the mood when you came out of there was it like this is going to be you know this is going to knock everything down or how did it no um, you can't tell anything about the public from a uh, industry because that was like you know the the theater was filled with uh, as I recall people involved with the film or invited or press or who are in dignitaries, yeah. whatever it was. It wasn't like seeing it as I did later on. Cause a few weeks later I went back to Philadelphia with, um, uh, family and went to a little dumpy theater and watched it in the neighborhood. Um, there weren't enough people in there, but the people who were in there enjoyed it. I think that's the story of the release of the Rocketeers that the people who saw it enjoyed it, but, uh, they didn't turn out. They were too busy going to see Kevin Costner. Yeah. Robin and Hood. then, uh, and that wonderful uh, accent. Yeah, well, that sort of roasted us pretty hard, but that was, uh, yeah. I don't even know. It's destroyed by another laughing band. I, I, but it, it definitely, yeah. But it, <laughs> good point. But it uh, it definitely killed the sequel and our dreams for the sequel, and um, that was that I, was. I hard. have a question. Do you think, I know this is, this, is a, this is an awful question, which do you think destroyed the Rocketeer more, um, Robin Hood or Terminator coming out the following week? Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's all about the first weekend's yeah. gross, and, and it just it didn't hit, and they just gave up. Oh. You know how it is. They see the tracking, and then boom. So it was it was disappointing. I mean, we always live. Paul and I um, have gone a long way without it. Remember, the Flash wasn't a hit either, although by modern standards, it was massive, honestly. But it has a legacy, including the people who make the new Flash, who loved our Flash. Um, so people like our films, but our films weren't hits. So we didn't get that kind of career trajectory off it that we would have liked and would have gotten some of our other stuff made at the time. Um, we did get a two year deal with Disney where we developed seven scripts and none got made. Um, there was a, you want to hear a really interesting story about two big movies that we lost in the same two weeks. It's pretty, it's pretty (laughs) in that period. So, um, it was, it is, but it was amazing. Um, we were going to write the Roger Rabbit sequel and we had, we had pitched our version and we were accepted to write the script at the time. Rod Minkoff, who had just directed the Lion King was going to direct it. And our story was about, um, it was kind of like singing in the rain. It was about the silent movie actress who had a terrible voice. So she goes to Toontown to get a, uh, a potion from the witch and things go crazy yeah. after that. So we were excited. I loved Roger Rabbit. And oh, by the, but, but, by we the way, there was supposed it. to be a Roger Rabbit uh, pre, pre-reel on, this, on The Rocketeer. It was supposed to be released with a Roger Rabbit short. Do you know when that got cut? Yeah, that's right. No, I don't. I do know something that when I was working at Imagineering, one of the R&D people said, do you know that we did a VR Rocketeer? It was one of the very first VR things we did back in the early 90s, a Rocketeer test that we was built at some lab out in Utah where they had like gray computers that would render the stuff back in the day. And uh, I didn't know that until I was at Imagineering two years ago. And I was like, they never showed us. I mean, it was like, yeah. we were, you know, we wrote the book. I want to see this. We yeah. were all about, we were designing theme park rides in our head and all that stuff at that time. But so let me go oh, yeah, back okay. to the Roger Rabbit story. We, we also had a deal with our producer of The Rocketeer, Larry Gordon, to write The Watchmen, which was my favorite comic book of all time. Look, I love The Rocketeer, but The Watchmen was my favorite book. And uh, 
so Larry said, and he was in some, he was upset with us because he offered us a deal with his company and we took the Disney deal really because as I said earlier, I'm a just dying Disney fan and I just always wanted to work there. And so he said, you can't, I'm not going to do his accent, but he said, he said, you're not doing that Roger Rabbit. You're, you owe me the Watchmen script and we have a contract and you're going to do it. And, uh, I remember he the, the when we got on the phone with that conference call, it started like this: "Hi, Paul. Hi, dummy." <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and so then he then he uh, insisted on that. So we had to lose. We gave up Roger Rabbit because we had the obligation to write the Watchmen. And then about a week later, the Human Target got an order for seven episodes. Hmm. And I said, "Larry, we got a we got seven episode order. I got to go make these shows for three months." He said, "All right, you go do that." You're off Watchmen. And boom. And so we lost the rocket. We lost Roger Rabbit sequel and Watchmen in the period of about three weeks back in uh, the early 90s. That's a, it's one of the, our fun uh, Bilson DeMeo Hollywood got a, stories. got a question about the Rocketeer. How would you have included uh, the pirate story in, in your, in your, ver- oh, in your in version? Watchmen? Would you have included the pirate story? No. Okay. No. No. No, it's, 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 that's, look, I love, uh, Alan Moore, but, um, some things don't, it ra- it yeah, that, that's what I was, I was like, I don't, yeah. I, I think they did the right, the right choice in the movie. Of, is, yeah. I think there's a version of it because they animated all that yeah, stuff yeah, they, where they, it's like a separate item that it's like, it, yeah. And I think there's a cut where it's in it or somewhere, but, um, cause again, you know, Lloyd Levin produced, uh, Watchmen. Well, I'll keep going back to Lloyd Levin because he's been my constant, uh, partner for really a lot of the, the 30 years so um or 37 whatever it is 35 <laughs> i don't know i'm not doing the math um but you switch to celsius eventually and then it's yeah <laughs> <laughs> but no lloyd has been a big comic book fan and he was the you know again he was the main driver on getting the rocketeer made back then um and as well as watchman and hellboy and a lot of other projects. It's, he's really been uh, passionate about comics since before I, it was fashionable. I have a question. We, we talked about this off, offline a bit, but uh, assuming that they, they forgot to make Robin Hood that year and Rocketeer turned out to be a success, you would have been charged with doing the – it's a three-picture deal, so you would have been charged with doing the next two movies. Um, assuming that uh, the Rocketeer sequel would have been the New York Adventure that was, you know, done graphically. What would have been like the se- or the second and third? How how would you would you have broken it up or done done two well, separate things? All I, I I don't know for sure because we never got that far. But based on our instincts, taste, and where our heads were at, I'm sure we would have headed into World War II. I'm sure we would have headed into World War II. So, um, because that's what it, I, you know. Again, like I said, that was. Uh, it was eminent. It was coming chronologically, and boy, would it have given some really spectacular uh, moments. I think we, we also wrote um, a few years ago. You know, there's an ongoing Rocketeer comic series, or there was. I don't follow it. Yeah, yeah. Because, Fly, high flying adventures. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't follow it for the following reason. Um, we were asked to do a story. They said we don't really need an action story, so we went back and thought of about Dave and, and some and a person that really inspired Dave, which was Amelia Earhart, and we wrote a story where Cliff meets Amelia Earhart when he's young. Oh, wow. Hmm. And we turned in a script, and we never heard from them again. Over really? at, oh. uh, yeah, the publisher of that, whatever that comic, IDs, IDW. IDW, yeah. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's an unsolved mystery to Paul and I uh, what happened. Uh, we turned in the script, and we never heard from the guy again. So, uh, and they published a lot of them and a lot of writers and a lot of people. And our point, hey, if it's too soft for you, tell me, we'll write something else. I mean, it was, or we'll change it. But he said, no, no, we wanted something. So it was a very intimate, kind of a, a, an emotional story of Cliff meeting Amelia Earhart. And it was a bit of a tribute to Dave. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know what happened. I really don't. I really don't. He didn't, nobody called us and said, hey, no thanks. Not even that. It just evaporated. Yeah. We got paid nothing, whatever you get paid for comics, but you know that was it. Yeah, no, sad. I mean, there's so much, there's so much sadness surrounding the Rocketeer, it's just of, of what might have been. Yeah, for um, a movie that's so uh, so well loved and just engenders nothing but sort of joy and fun and wide eyed adventure. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's a lot I, of struggle I, around it. Do you think there would have been an Iron Man and a 
Captain America movie if the three pictures had gone through because that's the way I see it. I would have seen Iron Man in the in World War Two. That's well, you know, Joe directed the first Captain movie. Of course. Yeah, I think, I, and that was a perfect that was a perfect choice. Yeah. Um, Yes, I think they would have been because it's all branded content from Marvel, yeah. and uh, they had they. I mean, we know that Iron Man wasn't as big in the comics as he is in the movies. We actually wrote an Iron Man treatment back in. Let me see if I can get this right. Around the same time, right? Maybe it was either before the Rock. I think it was bef- It was in the same era where we wrote the Rocketeer because we were working at Empire doing these little movies, and Stuart Gordon, who had done Reanimator. <clears throat> got a deal to develop Iron Man at Universal, and he hired us as the writers. So Paul and I wrote a treatment for Universal, an Iron Man treatment, back in the 80s, uh, actually. Because we were, you know, we were the go-to comic book guys when nobody cared about comic book movies. So uh, we did one. I don't remember it that well. I remember it was, I thought it was good. It dealt with, you know, Tony Stark the way it was in the books. Um but, yeah, we touched that. But would there still be? Yes. I mean, you know, they figured out how to make a machine out of that Marvel stuff. And uh, every movie's pretty successful. More power to them. Oh. Well, we'll see what happens with... Uh, we know that Disney is somehow working on uh, the Rocketeers as a, as a, a, a you know, a late-on sequel. Um, uh, I just... I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, it, to me, it's like it's it's like revisiting. It's like make, let's make another Titanic movie. I don't know if you can. I really don't think you could capture it again. I, I mean, if you could, that's great. If they can do a job with that, excellent. But I, I don't. I think this was lightning in a bottle. You know, I yes, I think sort of. Um, my thing is, I really like authenticity. And if we were going to do, if somebody said, "Hey, Danny and Paul, you're going to do a Rocketeer sequel, and you can do what you want." I would find a way to get Billy Campbell in it for sure, yes. and maybe maybe a lot as many of the act the younger actors who were in it and and move the thing up x amount of years and dig out the rocket pack and maybe there's a kid who flies again. But I would do it with with uh, Jennifer Connelly and Billy Campbell and keep the same feeling and and move it as far for as. 1963, that would be 25 years yeah. from 1930. Yeah, I would probably just cheat and back it up into the 50s a bit. Okay. So we're not into uh, the 60s. They don't uh, have a kid named Mutt, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I think the Cold War and the Russians and everything could be really interesting. Um, uh, I think I would have gone in that route if it were up to us. But you, what you can't recapture is you can't recapture the serials of the 30s by moving it forward, right? It's yeah, just sort be, of not the it, same. It, or the G-Wiz dialogue. It would have to change a little bit. But if we were writing it, it would be daddy-o and cool and all that stuff. So <laughs> The mall shopping. You know, exactly. I'll also say that Dave Stevens had a, had a project that he, what he wanted to do next. And whether he was going to do it in comics or wherever he was going to do it, it had to do with hot rods and strippers and the 1950s in Los Angeles. And that was like his next dream project. And... Um, we had a little, we did a project with Howard Chaikin when we were at Disney called Hot Rods, which had nothing to do with that. It was more like Cars. The movie, it was very much like Cars because it took place out on Route 66 in the desert town. And yeah. and um, Dave somehow felt that we were stealing his idea at one point, And we had a few years where we didn't speak to Dave because he was upset about that. But it had nothing to do with what he wanted to do. And I still think the what he wanted to do is really interesting and would be really an interesting era to explore. The only thing that came close to that was Ed Wood, I think, that came close to that world that he was trying to get at. Because Dave was really interested in, um, obviously, Betty Page, but later on, things like Elvira and stuff like that. It was, it was, it was, um, his, his, you know, he was briefly married to someone named Brink Stevens, who seemed to be kind of a horror movie femme fatale, as I recall. Yeah, I mean, it, w- it would be great to follow, you know, there's uh, the, all these different L.A. subcultures that were around yeah. in the 50s. Dave was really into that. He was really into that. And um, it recently, last April, there was a art showing at a, a kind of a fan-type gallery in Burbank. And I went just for the heck of it, and it was awesome. It was tribute art from different artists who've done different Rocketeer things, including, like, uh, a life-size head bust of uh, Lothar, but there was a lot, I bought a couple of pieces. Um, one was they had done a Rocketeer 
type cover done in the in the art style of sort of Jay Ward early '60s cartoons. Then, so I bought that. I got one for Paul and I, and there was an Art Deco post. There was a lot of different art. It was really great, and it was you know lithographs were for sale. And I was kind of walking around and looking at this, and and when I handed the guy my credit card to buy the stuff, he says, "You're Danny Bilson," and I was like. <laughs> Yeah. He said, well, you're getting a discount. And then, hey, it's Eddie Wilson. And then people like gather around and Dave Stevens' sister was there. And I and I got to talk with her for the first time. I mean, Dave used to talk about his sister, but I never met her because I think she lives in Central or Northern California. No, I think Central California. And it was tough. I mean, the converse, I get very emotional when I talk about Dave because he passed so young. And uh, But it was great to talk with her and connect with her. And they were talking about having an, an art show of Dave's work there within the next year and of course I'll turn up for that I mean I hope that when you that over the course of these podcasts and all the people that you brought in to talk about the Rocketeer that anybody who knows knows this is all Dave Stevens absolutely yeah I mean that's that's all they talk about is that it was his vision and the fact that so much of his vision survived in the movie is is the greatest tribute that anybody could do for him is just make sure that the idea that he had of showing who who the Rocketeer was and what it represented and and that that blend of it's a love for aviation a love for California a love for uh, you know the, the the cheesecake girls and things yeah. like that and just just that whole mood of the time it, it 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 drips out of every frame of this movie yeah and Disney really toned down you know obviously the girl stuff uh, yeah. that was that was something we dealt with and then as I told you uh, um, Paul and I were a shared vision, had a shared vision with Dave. So we were able to develop and bring that vision, join him in that vision, bring it to the screen. And Joe Johnston was exactly the same because Joe John, you know, a lot of directors don't want creators anywhere near the stuff because they're reinterpreting it. And he embraced Joe, brought, I mean, sorry, embraced Dave, brought him into the art department. And it had a definite influence on the film. But again, we were all. Um, marching to the same tune. And in the case of Paul and I, we had the privilege of expanding and developing those stories. And also we wrote the books with him. I mean, we, there was two, there's two graphic novels and the second one is written by Danny and Paul. Um, and that just sort of wove us in. We were really deep into this. And you know what's great is there's all this merchandise now and, and like Disney will put out a t-shirt now and then. And I've got some new ones I got maybe a year ago, where there's they have Mickey and Minnie as Rocketeers, and there's uh, oh, wow. there's a shirt with the has the entire backpack sort of drawn sketched on the back of it, and you know they tend to sell these things as limited editions, and if you're quick, you get it on the Disney store and you buy them, and and I actually buy all the Rocketeer stuff I can find or people give it to me because they're making more stuff now. Whenever I go to Disneyland, and I just I, I won't digress too much about my last trip there, but I always wear one of the shirts. And I'm completely shameless because people will say, I love that movie. And I will say, I wrote that movie. <laughs> and they go crazy. And I just love it. And I just did this a week ago with 20 guests from China who I was teaching. Um, they're actually from a company called Tencent. They're all they're game producers. And I ran a course all summer where I was training these guys. And, they're, and, and, they, um, and I told them the whole thing. I walked. I had my T-shirt. It was the Mickey one. And I said, okay, watch and see. I said, I'm shameless about this. We went through security at the beginning as we walked into to the very, before you even get into the park, it's like out in the parking lot now where they yeah. do the bag check. And the first security guard says, oh, that's my favorite movie. And I, of course, I have an interpreter there and I said, interpret, you know, and he goes, he tells yeah. it in Chinese and they all start laughing. I said, okay, that's one. And then I said, I wrote it. And she goes, oh my God. And it was just, I had just told him the story of it when we were on the bus out there. And the first person we hit was a security guard and it was absolutely hysterical and, and you know what it's like I told said earlier about the Imagineers loving it and, and um, it is uh, my favorite credit of my career absolutely wow. and, and we didn't get the we didn't get the accolades we didn't get all this back then but we get it now and it's it's just uh, really rewarding yeah, even even if it's in hugs, it's really a great. <laughs> well, it's well deserved and long overdue. Um, that's for sure. You know, Disney sometimes loops back on itself and try, like they the recent uh, Tomorrowland. They they tried to point point back to the you know to to, to Disneyland itself, and I I think it was a, it was a near swing and a miss, and it had a lot of elements of, of Rocketeer in it. 
I, one of the things that, you know, when you're, when you're falling asleep and thinking about ideas or shower thoughts or whatever it is, I kept thinking that if you ever did Rocketeer now, you moved it up in line, you could move it up to 1955 and have the Rocketeer somehow involved with the creation of Disneyland with Walt Disney. <laughs> I there. never you thought could, of you know, that. Put him in as a character. And, and like you were saying, fighting the communists or something. Yeah, like I never, never thought of that. Um, sometimes they don't like you to touch Disneyland, you know, in any way because it can break immersion and break the magic yeah. in a certain way. But that's, that's a funny idea. I'm a big, uh, big fan of the parks and, uh, even Disney. I went on a Disney cruise with my kids this summer and uh, I still, uh, I grew up with that growing up in LA and, and, uh, those parks are, are, I still, I'm, you know, I love my little bit of time working on them and I hope to do more with them in the future, but, uh, it, it's, it, it's pretty magical. I mean, Tomorrowland, interestingly enough, for me, I thought the big miss was it didn't take place in Tomorrowland very much. And right. that yeah. was, and they were just chasing around the modern world, and it was kind of at the beginning. And what I did like about the movie was I thought it had a phenomenal ending. I thought it had this uplifting ending that was very positive that you don't see so much anymore. And if I kind of take the beginning of the movie and the ending, I thought were really great. It was just the middle and most of it was just, you know, sort of running around and we didn't have that sense of wonder and that great thing about Tomorrowland that we love from the parks and from Walt's vision of the future and all that. But now I'm doing film criticism of somebody else's <laughs> film. Cool. All right. it's, it's a, Nobody it's asked a, for it. Sorry, Brad. I love Brad Bird. I think he's amazing. And I, I he's an old acquaintance and he's just a tremendous talent. Oh, really? Yeah, no, it 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 it's it's a great it it was a great movie. I mean, it, I enjoyed it for the for the time I was in the theater. It was it was very enjoyable. Um, Agreed. It, but uh, again, with with the Rocketeer, it's something that just continues on and on. We we're here, we are a quarter of a century on, and people still talk about it and and love the movie. Yeah, I mean, um, Paul and I would love to uh, write the sequel. Nobody's invited us, but uh, oh. we would. Uh, well, it's out there now. They know, and they can. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's out there because they're all listening. <laughs> Um, <laughs> every single one of them right yeah listen Max so, Winkler you were on my little league team right <laughs> we, uh, Henry, it's Henry's son who I also have known yeah. for since happy days but you know so everything's kind of a tight around I, you know what I haven't heard anything about that movie in over a year so um, I'm not yeah, there was, I'm not sweating uh, it, was a it too much it was a press release, and after that, I mean, I'm not seeing anybody. There's no, there's no casting going on, as far as I can tell, or they're, if they're doing it, they're doing it very quietly. They're too busy but, making tons of money just doing live action versions of all their animated films. If you heard yeah. their lineup at D23, it's like, Jesus, oh, are they gonna do an original IP? I guess they do uh, through Pixar and through animation. They do original IP, but live action is getting uh, pretty tight. Yeah, I, I saw the live action Winnie the Pooh clip, and I just, I don't know, I, I don't know what to think. God, I, but, forget, I didn't even, wasn't even, was I aware of that one? Oh, I don't, I don't, know even, about don't even Google Lion, it. I know it's, about Lion King and Dumbo and Aladdin. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah the Winnie the Pooh one is, um, wow. Uh, okay, I'll look <laughs> anyway, for it. <laughs> or maybe not. I, I, I warned you, I warned yeah, you. Yeah, maybe not. But you know what? People love those these new live action films because they tend to be of very high quality. So, um what can I say? Yeah. What can yeah, I say? You know, it, they they know their audience better than we do, I guess. So we'll, well, we'll see what happens. But it was yeah, it would be nice to see some new content or some updates on on previous content, and uh, it'll it'll happen when it happens. So, um, but we uh we, we've we've kind of beaten this was a short minute actually. I do. Oh um, I think we who did yeah who did who did your German in this or was that just you wrote in the the words in English and you said go and uh, yeah tell them exactly okay. right. Exactly. I, you know what? There's something about that. And Paul might, you know, Paul will remember different things than me. There's something about where he spoke German. And I, you know, I think it might not have been in our script. And I think we might not have loved it when he did it. So I, I can't remember. But Paul, I think, would remember that. We'll have to get him on your podcast. And because uh, he'll remember things that I didn't remember from that. It, it kind of works that way. But I can't, I, there was something about that, I think, that startled us. And I can't remember what it was. But Paul will remember. Yeah. I mean, he, he is saying Angerfen, which means attack. But I don't, I can't imagine that the stormtroopers are attacking. It looks like they're all just like holding still. You know, um, it might have happened on the set. I don't know. Because if, um, if uh, I, gosh, you know, that one I'm just going to have to go on a memory lapse on and not be able to give you a, a decent quote. I think I think okay. I think you should get Paul on and he might remember this stuff. 
Well, we're we're running out of minutes, so hopefully yeah. hopefully we'll have them on in an episode maybe next week. Yeah, so we'll, we'll 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 see how it goes. But uh, uh, th- Danny, so thank you so much for being on the show. This has been th- this is this is the kind of content that we've been dying for for an hour and a half, and we've had we've had some really great content. But this is really just uh, it's skipping to the back and reading the teacher's annotated edition. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, you've got the teacher here, one yeah. of them. I mean, I mean that from my USC world, not like I'm some master of screenwriting. Yeah. Uh, no, it, but we were there. Okay, we were there from 1986 when we started selling the thing through 1991 where it finally got made. And, and Paul and I were side by side with Dave Stevens through two different directors and uh, not enough time on the set. Oh, you know what? I didn't tell you the story of the Eddie Valentine versus uh, Sinclair scene in the nightclub that was the most distressing thing for us writers because we had to keep rewriting it based on whichever actor thought they should be most powerful in the scene. But, you know, maybe we could do that another time. Yes, we do have to talk about that. Yeah, that was a that was a long night. Yeah, that was a really long night. I'll tell you that, and the next into the next day, um, but uh, that's for another day. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, yes. Please, uh, folks, tune in maybe tomorrow. Well, tune in next week actually because we're gonna, we're going to be taking the weekend off. But uh, but please check back with us uh, next week when who knows we'll be we'll be showing up. That um, we. Uh, Thanks for thanks for being with us uh, for for this week. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation, we are available on all, all sorts of the usual uh, social media. You can find us at Twitter, Rocketeer Minute. Find us at Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Rocketeer Minute. Uh, find us at the big site, RocketeerMinute.com. And uh, Danny, where can they find uh, your your things? Are at, yeah, uh, Petfly. That's our company, Petfly Productions Facebook page. If you go into photos, there's a Rocketeer album with all our personal collection of photos from the film. You'll also see there's stuff from The Flash and Zone Troopers and some of the other things we talked about. Lots of, uh, I scanned a lot of stuff and put it up there a couple years ago just for posterity. So um, a lot of the Rocketeer fans already know about it and have been there. But for those who haven't, this isn't for profit. It was just for pure sharing and Neither for, is this, for love of the film. And uh we just thought we should share all of our uh, some of our collections up there, and all that. A lot of the merchandise that I could scan is up there from back in the day, the coloring books and all kinds of stuff that because uh, we collected it. And you guys are going to send me your address. I'm going to send you a care package. Awesome! Oh, wow. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Wow. We'll we'll have to hang up now because we got <laughs> we got to get around. All right. Can't talk. Must Good email day. address. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Enough chit chat. Uh, but uh, but join us. Uh, everybody else can join us here next week. Actually, everybody can join us. Can join us next week here on the Rocketeer Minute. So until Monday, have a great weekend and over and out. <laughs>